If you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, a couple of things that we can learn from this. It's not going to be, our main text is not going to be the first part of it, but beginning with verse 8 and following. But I want to go through this first section to just kind of set the stage for what's going on. Chapter 17, verse 1 says, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on the journey from the wilderness of sin, according to the wilderness of sin, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. It blows my mind that over and over, God continued to give them not only what they needed, but also what they wanted. I don't know about you, but I'm not that godly. I'm not that spiritual sometimes. When somebody wants something from me and they got a bad attitude, does it make you want to give it to them? I mean, your kids, you've been telling them for three weeks to clean their room, and all of a sudden, hey, Dad, can I have 50 bucks for X, Y, Z? Makes you just want to say, oh, sure, son, let me, let me just get that out for you. Not. I'm just not that spiritual sometimes. Maybe you are. I'm not. And even though our love is not supposed to be conditional, sometimes in our flesh it is. Anybody else want to care to admit? Thank you. Got some honest people here today. That's good. But here they are. They're griping and complaining because they have no water. And how many times you read through the Pentateuch, the first five books, and you read things like, oh, we should have stayed in Egypt. Right. Because it was so good there. I mean, God over and over was trying to bless them, to trying to get them to understand and to realize that if you just trust me, if you just trust me, I will take care of you. I will meet your needs. So in verse 2, chapter 17, says, Therefore the people contended with Moses. And the word contend means to wrestle with. I mean, they just they chided with him. They were just button heads together. And they just they had a better way, right? I mean, because they're not in charge, but they want to be in charge. And they wrestled over that. Give us water that we may drink. Not, hey, can I have a glass of water? Not, hey, where can I find some water? It's, give it to me. And I think to myself, before I get too critical, I catch myself wanting things that I think I deserve. Anyone else? I deserve this. I mean, just because I am, I exist, I deserve it. Wow. Um, Verse 3. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I mean, you did this on purpose, Moses. You brought us out of there. They keep forgetting that God says, I heard your cries by reason of your taskmasters. I know how hard they beat you, that they worked you in the hot sun, that they didn't take care of your needs. And you just, the whole time you're in Egypt, you want it out of there, and you keep throwing it back that we should have probably stayed. Right, because it was so good there. It wasn't good there. But in the moment, if our, if our minds are on the moment, rather than the big picture, it can be overwhelming. In the moment, there's things that we go through that we would not pick, that we would not choose, that we don't enjoy, right? I mean, I don't know anybody that enjoys getting sick. I don't know anyone that enjoys going through cancer. I don't know anyone that enjoys breaking a leg. 
or having a backache or a toothache or an earache or a headache. I don't know anybody that enjoys those things. But in the moment, they're disappointing. In the moment, they're frustrating. In the moment, they can be overwhelming, right? But the big picture is, even if they cause death, they are temporary. Because one day we will spend eternity in heaven, right? If you know Jesus. And anything that we face in this life is temporary, ultimately. And so they're griping and complaining. And Moses cried out to the Lord, verse 4, saying, What shall I do with this people that are almost ready to stone me? By the way, God, just if you didn't recall, I didn't really want to do this. It would probably be a good time that I kind of just subliminally put something in there that he probably didn't say but was thinking. Um, <laughs> verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the contention of the children of Israel. So it's the place where God provided, but it's also the place where the people complained. Wow. And because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? He goes, Just take that rod that's in your hand and strike the rock, and water will come from it. I don't know about you, but it seemed almost too easy that God would. But wait a minute. Isn't God a God who wants to provide? How many believe that? Some of you haven't figured that out yet. God loves you. Some of you need to understand that God loves you so much. And he literally did make it that easy. He said, just strike the rock and the water will come. It goes through my mind. I didn't deserve it. I griped and complained about it. And yet God still did it. That's crazy to me. I don't deserve it. And there's not a one of us in this auditorium this morning that deserves for us to have what we want just because we want it. And yet God is so gracious. They just tells Moses, strike the rock and they'll have the water that they've been complaining about. That's overwhelming to me. Because I don't deserve that. Lots of things I want to say here. Um, this week I had an opportunity just to bless somebody. And been through a lot of health problems. My friend went through a lot of health problems, went through a lot of difficult days, went through a lot of, a lot more than me, hospital visits, testing, only not to come up with a diagnosis. Um, just struggles in every way. And I walked over and I blessed him with a monetary gift and he kind of just looked at me. He looked back at me. I looked at him and just kind of smiled. He goes, hmm. And then there's about a five, little five-minute pause. And I hear this. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what? And he looks at me and goes, why would you do that? Why? And I just made some smart remark. Like, oh, I was taking space in my wallet. It's just extra space there. It didn't need to be there. And he's just, he goes, why? 
why would you do that? And I think to myself, why would God do anything for us? Why? What did we do to deserve it? What did we do do to deserve anything that God has blessed us with? Is it that you're just such a good person? Is it that just because you're just so obedient that God is just, oh, that person, he's extra special. He just loves us. He just loves us. And he wants to take care of us and provide for us and do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I think the one piece that is missing from so many of our lives is that intimate time of prayer where you just talk with Jesus and you get to know the heart of Jesus in prayer. Some of us have not learned that yet. And as we look at some of our prayer this morning, um, I want us to consider how awesomely powerful prayer can be. Some have asked me, why are we praying like this in the morning service? I guess if we're trying to grow a church and get all the people that come in to stay, it's probably not the way to do it. Just saying. Probably not the way to do it. But in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. He didn't say that it was going to be a house of preaching, although preaching is important. He, did, he didn't say it was going to be a, you know, a house of worship, although I enjoy good music. He didn't say it was going to be a house of wonderful fellowship, even though fellowship is important. He said, my house will be a house of prayer. And it's so disgusting for many of us to say, well, look at the way the world's going. They've kicked prayer out of the public schools. We've kicked them out of churches, folks. Every church in America has closed up their prayer service, ours included. When I came here 13 and a half years ago, three people were coming to prayer meeting. I thought, what's the use? Guilty. Three people were coming. And I thought, why am I wasting my time here? I thought that. And I thought, well, we'll find other ways to do it. Right? Because another day is better than Wednesday night. Because we all have just open days that we have nothing going on. Bottom line is we don't pray like we ought as a church. And he said, this is what I want my church to be. And if it was important to Jesus, why is it not important to us? I just want you to know, I want our church to be a place where it is not only encouraged, but practiced. I want that for us. And since we don't have a weekly dedicated prayer time, I made a decision several months to include a time of prayer in our morning service. And just so you know, I'm okay with the awkward silence for a minute. If that two minutes where you're sitting there as you're with your heads bowed and your eyes closed thinking, is anybody going to pray? I'm okay with that moment of awkward silence. I'm okay with it. Because I hope, if nothing else, it's a time that you are praying silently in your seat. Where we are coming together and praying as a church. You've heard me say for 13 years, programs without prayers is stuff on the counter. I don't want to do just stuff. I don't. I want us to be a place that practices prayer and if you're not accustomed to that i hope that you will become accustomed to it and if you're worried about praying in a way that it would attack you know where someone else is looking at you and watching you and they're wondering what you're saying 
Get your focus off of them and on God. If God wants you to stand and pray, stand and pray. And we're not talking about praying for you know, Uncle Joe's you know, big toe that got stuffed on. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our lives this week. That's why I went each night before I went out, and I tell you, Wednesday night, the camp director came to me and says, Ken, God's, God's got something. He's going to do something, and the kids aren't moving yet. And I sent out a text to several ladies in our church that I know pray for me nonstop. And I said, would you pray? Because I said, God needs to work in some areas here. And immediately I got response back, hey, we're praying right now as, as you're talking. And I got up to preach, and God answered prayer, and kids moved forward, and they accepted Christ that night. Prayer works. And if you don't believe it, maybe you have to look at your own life and say, am I even doing it, number one? And number two, is there something hindering my prayers from being heard? You heard me talk about that a million times in, my, in your life, or in my life. That, that, that the bottom line is, if I have iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I want God to hear my prayers. So i got to deal with sin issues in my life. Not just so I can get what I want, but because I don't want anything hindering my prayers from being heard and being answered. Proverbs 28, he that covered the matter will not prosper. So that moment of awkward silence, I'm okay with it if you're praying in your seat. But if God is calling on you to get involved and have an active part in the worship service, it should not be, folks, that the pastor gets up and runs everything. This is your opportunity to have part in our worship, to pray and to plead your case before God and beg the Holy Spirit to do something in our midst. Do you realize that there are churches, even in Rochester, all around us, that the entire message or service from beginning to end is timed and on an exact second-by-second schedule? You know, it starts at 10.30. From 10.30 to 10.34 is song one. Then there's going to be a 10-second transition, and from 10.35 to 10.38 is going to be this song. It is so regulated and scheduled out that the Holy Spirit can't get a foot in edgewise if he tried. I don't want that. I want our church to be a church that participates in what God is doing. And when God does it, we all get the blessing from it. It's not just three people. It's those of you that prayed. You had a part in those kids coming to know him. It's amazing to me. That God loves his people so much, he wants to do for them what they can't do for themselves. And we just sit back and gripe and complain because he's not doing this, he's not doing that, and what about this, and what about that? Have you tried getting on your knees before God? When I pray Sunday morning, whether it's silently or audibly so you can hear me, I'm praying for, for about five things specifically. Don't get me wrong when I say this. Please don't misunderstand. I'm concerned about Aunt Sally's big toe that hurts. I'm concerned about Uncle Joe's bad back. But I'm not praying for that in this moment. I'm praying in this moment for the Holy Spirit to do something that I can't do. I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. I want that. And I hope he starts with me. Because I have not arrived yet. Just in case you're wondering, I have not arrived yet. I'll just tell you that. Ask my kids that. There's still much for me to learn. And I'm amazed at how dumb I've been in some earlier years and 
man, I look back at some of the things I said, I don't even agree with myself sometimes. How dumb was that? God's still teaching me. But I want the Holy Spirit to work in my heart. Number two, for every child of God to respond to the Spirit's leading. What has God asked you to do that you haven't done yet? What area of sin in your life have you been dabbling with that God's saying get rid of it and you're just saying well nobody knows about it God knows about it you can't hide it if you wanted to you can't everything you do in life every action you make every thought you think God knows all about it you can't hide it so why not deal with it rather than hinder the Holy Spirit from working in your heart and do you realize that you can sear your conscience to the point where God says, I'm not even going to deal with you anymore because you just have bucked up against me and you're not willing to make it right. There are times that we have sin in our life. We know it's there. We're griping and complaining. Some of you are like, oh, pastor's on a rant today. I guess I'll just shut up and listen until he's done. Already your attitude stinks and you know it because you want to go on to something else, whatever it may be. I've been there. Some days I'm in there. Some days I'm thinking, what did I just say? I need to just go home. Number three, for the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of those who may not be saved. You think, well, they're in church. Doesn't mean you're saved. I told you a story years ago. My next door neighbor in New Palestine, Indiana, Bernice, went to United Church of New Palestine for 51 years. 51 years. Every Sunday. Talk about being a part of that church. She's probably got blood in the walls of that church somewhere. She's been there. And all of a sudden she's sitting in a rocking chair in my living room saying, I've never heard that before. The plan of salvation. So if you think just because you're in church you're saved, wrong. I know people have gone 51 years and still did not know Jesus. So I'm praying the Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of somebody who may not know him so that they can put their faith and trust in Jesus and he's saved forever. Number four, for the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of those who need to deal with sin. Say, is that here? Yep, it's in every church. Why? Because you're human and humans are sinful. Just facts. And you can hide it from your kids. You can hide it from your coworkers and your boss. You can hide it from your neighbor, your relatives. You can hide it from your spouse. But you can't hide it from God. And then number five, just for the Holy Spirit to reveal His presence in our midst. I just want it. I, I, I grew up in such a way that if you talked about the Holy Spirit, you must be, whoa, Pentecostal, get yourself. Swing that pendulum away from that. That's just, of the devil. (laughs) We have so kicked the Holy Spirit out of things that we don't know if we see it. I want the Holy Spirit here. Whatever that means and look like, I I don't know fully, but I want it. I want the Holy Spirit's presence to be here. In Psalm 145, verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. What's that mean? He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. I used the illustration this week at camp. I said, 
God's word tells us in Second Chronicles 14, it says, God will draw nigh unto you if you draw nigh unto him. But if you don't draw nigh unto him, he won't draw nigh unto you. You say, well, is Jesus saying that if I don't do it, he's not going to be there? No, that's not what it's saying. Use this illustration. If Don is in the upstairs corner of the one of the bedrooms making a bed, and I'm down in the basement in the other corner, and I say, hey, Don, what do you want for dinner tonight? Are you going to go out to eat? You want to stay here? What do you want to do? He said, well, that's dumb. She's in the upstairs corner room, and you're talking to thin air space. Right, but I want her to hear me. Right. So what do I got to do? I got to go up the stairs, go to the far corner bedroom, and say, oh, Don, there you are. It wasn't that she was rejecting me when I was downstairs and she was upstairs. It's that there was distance. And the distance separates. So I had to go up the stairs into the room where I could get close to her and then have the conversation. If I draw nigh unto her, she'll draw nigh unto me. But if I don't draw nigh unto her, she can't draw nigh unto me. You get the principle? You've got to get close to God if you want him to hear you. You see, we've got barriers. Barriers of sin. Barriers of distrust, unbelief. Those are huge barriers that we have to overcome sometimes. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. There's all kinds of suffering taking place. And it's not all just physical. There are emotional battles. Anybody face some emotional battles time to time? I do. Man, after my heart surgery, I thought for the first time in my life, well, that's what it means to have emotional issues. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> And all of a sudden, God's like showing me some things I hadn't seen before. I get it now. I get some of those struggles, some of that suffering. Financial issues, that's suffering sometimes. What about relationship issues between your spouses, your kids? I hate when those struggles are there. I hate when that suffering is there. My wife asked me a question a long time ago. She goes, do you want to be right or do you want a relationship? Well, truth be known, I want both. <laughs> but you ain't going to get both in the moment. <laughs> so I guess I'll deal with the relationship at the moment. I can be right later, maybe, when you come to your senses. <laughs> right? Isn't that what we think sometimes? Let's be honest. I know, I, know you, I know you're wrong, but you don't know you're wrong. It's okay. God will show you later. But I love you. It's the truth, isn't it? It's how we think. I'm just being honest. Some of y'all ain't honest yet. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Don't You don't have to turn there. It's Ephesians 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Here's the key. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of the wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You know how you do that? Spend some time in prayer. Every day. Taking some time. Say, God, this God. <laughs> I remember this, seeing this one thing. It says, God, so far today I haven't sinned. I haven't yelled at anyone, screamed at anyone. I haven't had a bad attitude. 
I haven't hit anyone. I haven't spoken harshly to anyone. But God, you know I'm about to get out of bed and the day's going to start. <laughs> right? How about we start by putting on the armor of God every day in prayer. And as Psalm 4, 4 says, stand in awe of God, commune with God upon your bed. As the day starts, giving it to Him. Psalm 73, 28, in correlation with Psalm 145, 18, says, the Lord is near to all who call upon Him. Psalm 73, 28 says, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. What's he saying here? As I draw near, what's he saying? As I do that, he goes, now I can declare what you have done. Isn't that awesome? It's an amazing thing to consider. But today, I just want to look at one example of a man and the battle he felt responsible to win and how prayer helped him win that battle. So Exodus chapter 17 Beginning with verse 8 is where we're going to be this morning for a few moments. Seven observations of Moses in this battle. Seven observations. Let me just read it. Beginning with verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and, other, and, on the, other, and, on, and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and the people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Woe. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let me just ask a question. What if the outcome of the battle were up to you? What if it were up to you? What if it were up to you for something big to take place? What if it were up to you to see a project through? If you did what you were supposed to do, no problem, no worries. Everyone be safe, no harm done. If you didn't do what you were supposed to do, destruction would take place. The outcome is up to you. But don't fret. God is real and he's at work. That's the caveat. God's here. So it's really not up to us. It's up to us to be obedient. So, number one, I want you to see the first observation in Moses. His mind was made up. He had faith. 
So how do I know that? Well, verse 8 says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel, and Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men. Bottom line is, he says, We're not going to sit back. I want you to go choose men. His mind was made up. When's the last time you made up your mind that God was going to do something? Rather than just sitting back and seeing whatever else. I mean, most of us, man, we'd be buying, you know, not the cheap seats, the good seats. We're paying the big bucks so that we can come in and get the best spectator seats. We're going to watch and see what happens. I mean, this battle is about to take place. I want to make sure I get in on all the... It's like going to a hockey game. I want to see a good fight. I want to see someone just smashed up in the glass. And when it happens, whoo, yeah, right. Oh, man, I think he just lost a tooth. Whoo, sweet. We want the, we want the seats, man. Not, this is not spectator sport. This is participation sport. This is getting involved with, God, with what God is doing. He says, listen, we're not going to sit back. Amalek's coming in. We're going to deal with it. So when's the last time that we just felt like we're going to just deal with it, whatever it is, the situation that we're facing? Are you willing to just deal with it? Or are you going to put it off? You're going to get on the phone and tell everybody about your woes. You're going to get on Facebook and air it to the world. Twitter, Snapchat, whatever it is that you do to get your garbage out there. I, I don't know. Or are you going to say, I'm going to get involved? I know his mind was made up, that he had faith, because he looked right at Joshua and says, choose us some men to go out and fight. I want to get involved. The enemy's going to fight. I'm going to fight just as hard. I got my rod. By the way, I'd hate to get hit with one of these things. I carved this thing out about 15, 17 years ago in uh, from woods in northern Indiana. And uh, it's solid. Can you imagine Moses running around with a rod? I tell you, if I lived in that day, I'd have a good one. I'd have a good one. I want, my, I want my rod to be a, a weapon, right? Sheep? Yeah, no problem. I'll take care of the wolves. His mind was made up. Number two, verse 9, in the end of it, it says, And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with a rod of God in my hand. Moses knew that God was capable of the victory. He says, I'm going up. Do you believe that God is capable? Is God bigger than your struggle? Is God bigger than your battle? Is God bigger than your suffering? Is God bigger than whatever it is that you're facing? I believe He is. I look at what what happens. Just in case you're wondering, pastors struggle with pride too. I wouldn't mind having that building for my church. Boy, that building is nice. They got central air. They ain't got to put air conditions in the windows every summer and take them out at the end of every summer. I'd like to have that building. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh, that driveway? Yeah, they got they got brand new driveway and they got eighty thousand dollars left over in the bank. Yeah, I'd like to be that church for a moment. We all struggle. And so often we settle in the struggle. We settle because we think that God's not capable of taking care of the problem. We struggle because God is not big enough in our mind to handle this one or that one. And so we settle rather than going out and attacking it with the power of God. Number three, 
verse 10. It says, So Joshua did as Moses said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went on top of the hill. Number three, Moses knew that his prayer was effective. Took the rod of God. So Joshua did as Moses said and fought with Amalek. He did what he was supposed to do. He obeyed. He obeyed. You see, we said this the other day. You can't have the blessings without obedience. We want all God's blessings, but we don't want to surrender. We want everything God has for us, but we don't want to give in. I just want all that, too. I believe Moses knew that his prayer was going to be effective. He says, I'm going up to pray. God's going to take care of it. Bottom line, get confidence. You have confidence that your God is able. Don't sit there and say, well, of course I know that. Don't do that. You see, wisdom doesn't happen overnight. Wisdom is knowledge applied. You don't know how strong your faith is until it's been tested. It's not only until you get tested that you understand how strength or how strong or weak you are. Well, how do I know how do I know how to do that? Take the step. He'll test you, but you can't sit still and expect God to do something. You can't just sit there. You have to take the step. And then as you take the step, God will show you what you need. Pastor, every time I take a step, it's on a landmine. Then God must want to do something big with you. Number four. Moses knew that his actions would affect others. Do you realize that your actions or lack thereof affects those around you? Look at verse 11. And so it was, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Boy, it didn't take too long for him to realize that his actions would affect others. i got to keep my hands up. and, I, and I, I need, God, I'm, I'm tired. But here's another, another observation from verse 12. Number 5. Verse 12, but Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him and sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Aaron, Hur, come up here for a minute. I want you to get the idea of what's taking place here. Let me step aside for a moment. He's up here. Aaron. So he's up here, and this battle's going on, and they're up on the hill like we're up above you guys. He's up on the hill, and he says, my arms are getting tired. I know I have a staff, but I just, this battle's been going on all day, and I'm tired. And he realizes his actions are going to affect those around him, right? So they come get a nice, comfortable chair for him to sit on, called a stone. And they put stones underneath his arms. 
And they, one on one side, one on the other, even though he had no strength of his own to hold him up. He kept saying, Lord, this is your battle. And God, you got to take care of it. God, you have to defeat Amalek. Father, you realize that these people need to see the power of God at work in their, in their presence, Lord. They need to see you work. He's too tired to hold himself. So, as they held his arms up, as long as his arms were up, the battle was theirs. When, they, when his arms came down, they lost. And he realized that he couldn't quit. He couldn't give up. It wasn't a time for that. He needed Aaron and her to help him in this battle. He couldn't do it alone. Some of you have got to get to the place where, first of all, you can acknowledge that you're in a battle. We come to church every week, and you think, well, I'm just going to bring my nice Sunday Bible. I'm just going to put my nice clothes on and pretend everything's all good. And as long as nobody else knows about my struggles, I'm all the better for it. And you're losing the battle. Moses acknowledged that there was a battle taking place and his actions affected those around him. And he realized he couldn't do it alone. Some of you need to realize that you're not going to win until you let others in. You say, am I, Pastor, am I supposed to go around telling everybody my problems? No. It starts with by telling God. But when you get too much to bear... You might need to bring someone in and say, hey, would you pray for me? Would you help hold my arms up? Because I can't do this alone. That means swallowing pride. That means being honest. And quite honestly, that means being a little bit vulnerable. Well, what if they talk about it? Shame on them, but it happens. But it's not the reason to quit and not do it. We need each other. I need Aaron and hers. I need I need those people in my life. I can't do it alone. I need those women praying when I'm about to preach. I need all of you. Jan Jan McGlory, she's my three to five in the morning prayer warrior because she don't sleep ever. I mean, she doesn't go a whole night. So that's that time she prays for me every day. I pray. I'm just telling you, ask my wife. I was getting ready to preach Wednesday night. And I sent that text out, get ready to pray because the camp director really wants me to address salvation tonight. And so I said I would be praying that God would work in the hearts. And immediately my phone started, I'm praying, Pastor, right now. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And I just sat there and cried. I know it's hard to believe I cried anymore. Like worse than a girl. But it touched me that immediately there were that many people who were willing to stop and pray. If you would have had me do that 20 years ago, I would have thought, okay, let's go do this. Do it my own strength, my own power, my own ability. But anymore, I realize I cannot do nothing. Nothing without God. Can't. I need His Holy Spirit. I don't want to work without it. But number five, Moses didn't walk away from adversity. Didn't do it. 
You walk away, the devil wins. You walk away, the enemy wins. I preached on Asa one night, King Asa. Remember in the beginning in Second Chronicles 14 when the Ethiopians came against him? And he says, God, it is nothing with you, whether with them they have many or with them they have none. He said, God, in your name we're going before this, and then you take care. He gave the battle and said, God, he not just gave the battle to God. He said, it's your battle. It's not even mine. It's not even mine to give you. It's yours. And it tells us at the end of chapter 14 that the Ethiopians were destroyed. Then chapter 16, the Syrians come against them. And rather than going to God again and saying, God, these people, he goes, huh, I wonder what I can do about it. I know. I'll call out Ben-Hadad because Ben-Hadad's dad and my dad, both kings, they were buddies. He goes, Ben-Hadad, come here. I got Basha over here of Syria blocking off my entrance to my kingdom. I'll tell you what, I'll give you gold and silver and some treasures out of the storehouse of Israel and join my side. Great. Ben-Hadad says, if more gold, more silver, more treasuries, yeah, I'm in on that. So he comes and joins Asa so that they can take care of Basha. And then Hananiah the seer comes out and says this. What are you doing? Did you forget about the Ethiopians? Did you forget about the fact that that was God's battle and he delivered you out of their... He goes, now because you have gone to Ben-Hadad rather than to God... As the enemy slips through your hands. You could have had another victory. But you walked away from it. Talk about convicting. He got so mad that Hananiah the seer sent him into prison. I don't want to listen to that. So some of us, we just not only walk away from a battle. We get angry at anybody that says, hey, you need to engage. Moses didn't walk away from adversity. Number 6, verses 12 and 13. Middle of verse, or verse 11 there, says, well, verse 11, And so it was, when Moses held up his hands, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so that the, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, and on the other, the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Number six, Moses learned that he could not perform the task alone. And neither can you or I. I would encourage you to join each other in prayer. I would encourage you to make yourself a little bit vulnerable sometimes and say, hey, I can't do this. Would you pray with me? And then if you're asked, keep your mouth shut. It's pretty simple. Just don't yak about it because it's no one else's business except for you. If God allows you to be a part of something that helps another, just pray. And number seven, verses 14 through 16 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. And recounted in the hearing of Joshua, 
that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. And Moses built an altar and calls its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Number seven, Moses reminded, was reminded again of how great God is. And he said, I want you to never forget this. I want you to write it down. And you remember who Moses' successor was? Joshua. And he says, I want you to write this down at the hearing of Joshua when he takes over so he knows once again how great I am and what I'm capable of so that he may never forget how powerful I am. Write it down. Write down what God's doing in your life. You see, when I'm writing something down, I'm looking for something to write down. I'm not looking for something. I won't find it. But when I start thinking about what God has done and write it down, I'm reminded of how many things God is doing. I know you've heard this story a thousand times in your life. The question I walk away from myself is this. Am I applying it? Am I applying it? Because I believe God wants to work. I believe that. I believe that God is capable. And I also believe that there are two types of people in this room. Maybe three, but at least two for the story. There are those that need help holding their arms up. And there are those that need to help hold other people's hands up. I don't know what side you're on. But I know that those two groups can work together. Whether you're one that needs your arms held up or whether you're willing to help hold someone else's arms up, that two groups can work together. Those two groups. If you're willing to fight the battle. And number three, when God gives you the victory, you need to write it down and share it. You know why we say fill the field is stories of changed lives? Because you can't argue with someone's story. You know, sit there and argue theology and doctrine. We can argue it all day long. You're pro this, anti that. You're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pan-trib. Whatever it is, we can argue that stuff all day long. And get nowhere, by the way. But when I tell you my story of what God's done in my life, I'm going to own that baby. I'm going to tell you exactly what God did. And it's my story. You can't argue it. It's not theology that we're going to debate. It's my story. It's what I've seen God do. Stories change lives. Stories of changed lives change lives. I don't know where you're at. But I want to see God at work. But prayer is going to be even a bigger deal than you think it already may be. It's not that big of a deal yet. But it's going to get a bigger, become a bigger deal. So I want to see God do some bigger things. I want you to be a part of it too, by the way. This ain't my church, by the way. It's not. It will never be my church. I might pastor here, but it's not my church. This is God's. And you're part of it. I want you to be a part of what God is doing and a part of the battles that he wins, part of the battles of 
you know, seeing him defeat sin and Satan. I want to see you be a part of what he builds. Starts with one wanting to be a part of it. Not just showing up, but being a part of it. Getting invested. Moses didn't run from this stuff. He embraced it. Went head on. And I think that's sometimes what that's what we need to do. Quit running. Don't just say, oh well, someone else take care of it. How about you take care of it? There's a novel idea. You got an idea? Jump in. Let God use you. You'll know the joy of what God can do if you let him use you. But some of us have missed out on the blessings of God doing something in and through us because we're too scared to jump in. Jump in. So I don't know everything. Join the club. So I make mistakes. Yeah, so do the rest of us. Join in. Don't just sit there. Don't be a bump on a pickle. Do something. Lord, we come before you asking that you do a work in our midst. We prayed for that before the service started. And we're praying for it now, Father, that you would continue to do a work in our midst as only you can. God, I pray that you would stir the hearts of those who have been complacent. God, I pray that you would work up within people who have been sitting for too long a desire to get involved physically, emotionally, financially. I pray, God, that you'd have people to get involved and to do a work that only you can do. Lord, I know that we pray every week that you'd bring conviction where conviction is needed, bring encouragement where encouragement is needed. Lord, part of that conviction, Lord, is dealing with issues of sin. And God, I pray if there is sin that is hindering our walk and our work and our worship with you, Father, Lord, that we would not only acknowledge it, but deal with it. God, I pray that you would not give rest until we deal with issues of sin. That there be no reason not to hear our prayers collectively as a church. Lord, that there be no reason why you would not want to bless because we're dealing with issues of sin and we've tried our best, Lord, to be holy and righteous before you. Not to get what we want, Lord, but because we know it pleases you to walk in holiness and righteousness. Lord, encouragement. Lord, may we see your hand at work, and may that be encouragement to those that need to see your hand at work. That you did save souls last week. That you convicted others of sin, and Lord, they dealt with it. Lord, those are encouraging things to see that there are those who are willing to let God have his way. So Lord, I pray that you would do that here as well. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I just ask for a moment that we all stand to our feet. And just ask that no one be looking around just for a moment. I asked the kids last week if they would be willing to do something brave and courageous. I said, if you're willing and God has spoke to your heart, would you deal with it? I asked them to take a step of faith 
and to kneel at an altar, to pray with somebody. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing this morning. Has God spoke to your heart? Has God challenged you in an area that needs to be dealt with? I encourage you to take a step of faith. Maybe you need to seek someone out to pray with. Maybe this morning you need to just seal some things at the altar. Some have already come. Do you need to? Take a step of faith. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and Paul just praying through, I'll give you a chance to come. Just to leave your seat and to pray at the altar, the old-fashioned altar. Don't put it off. Don't wait till next week. If God is dealing with your heart now, you deal with it. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe this morning you need to pray. Yeah, I know you can do it where you're at. I know that. But maybe this morning God wants to see you take a step of faith. Take a step towards dealing with something. Maybe it's something that's been there for a long time. But this morning God wants you to deal with it. Are you willing to? One more verse. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you do work in our midst. Thank you for these who have come. Lord, I know there are others yet, Lord, in their seats where they're at, Lord, who you've convicted, challenged. I pray, God, that you'd give victory where victory is needed. And I ask, dear God, that we all may sense your presence at work in our midst. But, Lord, for each one who has acknowledged an area of in our walk with you, Lord, that needs to be addressed, I pray, God, that we would do it and that we would continue to see your hand at work long past leaving this place. We know that battles are taking place all around us. Some of those battles include us. And may we seek help when we need it. And may we be willing to help when asked. And that, Father, that we would see your hand at work. And we'll praise you, dear Father, for what you are going to do for what you have done. Lord, we pray with anticipation and faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.